Before this episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic, I just want to offer a small trigger warning. We are talking about violence in theatre, and so we are going to talk about themes that some may find disturbing, talk about bloodshed, self-harm and thoughts of suicide. I started watching a series called Transatlantic. Oh. It was on Netflix, actually. It was really, really interesting and apparently based on real events and characters about when political, uh, what do you call it, I suppose rebellions or whatever to the Nazis and the Jews were escaping from Paris in 1940 into Vichy France and then there were a lot of people who were making sure that they could safely go to America from there and they said they were organising passports and visas and you know, safe havens for them. And that's when it's set. I didn't know anything about it historically. Yeah. It was a really interesting time. It is, yeah. It is and so you've got Max time. Ernst and the Guggenheims. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, and Peggy Guggenheim's trying yeah. to get visas for them all, isn't she? Because, yeah. yeah. So really, really interesting. And of course, it's sort of full of terribly beautiful people and terribly <laughs> beautiful locations and 1940s costumes and, you know, so pleasing on many, many levels. Many levels. I'm not sure how closely... Uh, linked it is but it does say based on true events and that's and interesting well I, I knew about Guggenheim because uh, and Ernst because there's a terrible sort of sad twist because Guggenheim is desperately in love with Ernst and oh, he God. isn't in love with her and he's got a wife and because actually basically she is a good egg and um you did know, she have a husband got, um Mr Guggenheim uh, she, no, no. Her money, her money is her own. She has many husbands, none of them oh. particularly happy. Um, and I think she ends up marrying Ernst, but oh. um, she also at that point, unhappily, but she also at that point has to fish his sort of lover stroke wife out of um, France with him. So she, yeah, so oh, she's, it's all, she's Complex. a fascinating figure, Peggy Guggenheim. I've always thought she was really, um, yeah, riveting. Where did her character. money come from? Was it old um, money? Her money's old money. Old New York. Old New York money. Right. I'm trying to remember exactly. I knew that once and it's gone. Yeah. So she's an heiress and she's always an heiress. And what she does is in the 30s, she begins to buy a very early surrealist, post-impressionist surrealist art oh, and starts wow. to set up exhibitions in New York, which she does very well with. She was always a really, she always had a really good eye as a collector and yeah. as a gallerist. Yeah. And then post-war, she ends up, of course, in Venice, where which is how you get the Guggenheim Inst- Institute there. But she has, you know, that's when she's, she buys Jackson Pollock before anybody else is interested yeah, yeah. in him. And she, um, yeah, she was a great collector. It's such an interesting period that time because I think between the wars, you know, the, the, there were so many artists who travelled constantly. All the time. And were being influenced. So, that, you know, we understand that there was, you know, uh, Impressionism and Post-Impressionism and Expressionism and Industrialism and all this sort of different things. But actually a lot of those people were, they were all mates. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and they would and travel between. They countries would travel and look at different things, and yeah. were so influenced by one another. And suddenly, with 1939, you know, and then and then as the walls sort of grow yeah. between the, yeah. they, they're all sort of separated, and it's it yeah, is and there's so that great shift of um, of European art into America. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, and, and also in Switzerland, given being so, given yeah. safe haven. I, on the other hand, have not been being highbrow at all in the Easter week. I've been hoovering up. The Night Agent on Netflix, Ooh. which is absolutely brilliant thriller. I mean, I'm sure it will get a second series. It's based on a book. Right. And um, 
It's one of those very rare thrillers, which rather like the first series of 24, which I also loved. Right. But I loved 24 for about five series. But it's got perfect logic within itself. It's absolutely silly. There is really no reason to watch it except to be entertained. Right. I can't make any claim for it to have any given me any insight into the real workings of the FBI, CIA <laughs> or the American government. But it is utterly riveting. And the other really excellent thing about it is it's also got... Um, brilliant women characters who Fantastic. behave in unexpected but realistic ways. So they're right. not like just there to sort of have a checklist of women characters. Yeah. So I found it utterly engrossing. Just kind of hoovered it up as kind of pure, pure within um, the escapism. women uh, within the FBI. Uh, women sort of within the FBI, within the presidency, just within the plot. Uh, there's yeah. a very clever tech entrepreneur who is the main woman in the plot. And it's oh, just clever. It it's really clever. It's really good. It's perfect. Yeah. And it made a very nice balance for me because the subject of this week's, as the actress said to the critic, with me, the critic, Sarah Crompton. And with me, the actress, Nancy Carroll. Is going to be violence on stage because yeah. the other way I've spent this period. Neat segue. Neat segue is watching a, a, a Little Life, which is a piece of extreme extreme and utter violence yeah and um, everybody knows in advance that it is violent and it has got more trigger warnings than any play I have ever been to yeah so I thought that was kind of a good point to start to talk about violence on stage generally and the effects it has and and how um yeah how it's different really than what you see on screen well it's interesting isn't it because of course in some ways the violence and and an audience interest in watching violence is one of the oldest forms of theater you think of gladiators and you know the sort of any kind of um, you know, putting an animal into a ring or you know a bit of bloodshed bit and of violence bloodshed. and and uh. controversy and uh you know competition is what gets audiences revved up in the most extraordinary way which is why you know the whole time honored superstition of don't say macbeth in the theater is because it was always the most successful shakespearean play and if if one of the other plays wasn't doing well they'd shove macbeth on right. because it always got the audiences <laughs> in because it's shorter and yeah. it's full of bloodshed and everyone's yeah. like oh fantastic Fantastic. You know, and I think it, there's something feral. I mean, why does anybody like yeah. watching a boxing match? It's something, there's something animal in it. I mean, having for about five minutes last year done a bit of boxing training, you realize the art of it. And, you know, and I, I watch uh, our brilliant trainer, George, talk to Joe or, or my son, Artie, about various different boxers and their style and how they you know, played or exhausted or teased their opponent. And all of that plays into it at all. So it's not just people sort of tearing the shit out of each other. The art of watching people compete in a very animal way yeah. is exciting. I think that's fascinating to think of because I hadn't really, I hadn't thought of it as a boxing match. But you're right. I mean, actually, it's true that in the original theatre design that, you know, it's kind of like a cockpit, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The whole exactly. idea of sort of putting sparring and... um people in antagonistic positions to each other is yeah. there in theatre yeah, design yeah, yeah. in those early theatres. And I think, you know, I loved when I was younger, I used to love Jacobean tragedies. Right. Um, because uh, 
well, I don't know why I love them, really. I think, actually, I do know why I love them, because T.S. Eliot was so influenced by them. And I like the idea of that kind of um, constant thing of, you know, Webster. He saw the skull beneath the skin and this idea of uh, uh, Jacobean tragedy essentially being like um, emo um, kind of music or whatever. you, You are constantly aware of death. It's got a kind of nihilistic trend which appealed to me in my teens. And probably appears to all teenagers. As you go on with Jacobean tragedy, you realise why they are hard to perform now. Because essentially, they are all blood. And they got their effects by terrifyingly convoluted plot. Yes. And also by a sense that, you know, you never knew which character was going to die a horrible death next you yes, know yes. that people are always chopping bits of bodies off and poisoning people there's an enormous amount of horrific poisoning and faces being scarred oh and gosh. people being imprisoned in total darkness and um that whole sort of jacobean dark trend of a society yeah. in transition which you see a tiny bit of of course in in shakespeare because certainly something like titus andronicus there was a very very famous production with directed by Deborah Warner right with Bran Cox which I saw in Stratford in the early 80s I think right and it was almost unbearable because really? so many terrible things happen in Daddy's Andronicus. His daughter is horribly raped and yeah. then mutilated. Yeah. So her hands are cut off and her tongue is cut out. Yeah, yeah. So she can't possibly tell on her rapist. Yeah. Um, and then in revenge, Titus kills people and makes their mother eat eat them in a pie. Plot yeah. spoiler. Yeah. Which is so- <laughs> <laughs> and and it was incredibly bloody. And what I thought about that a lot when I was watching A Little Life. Yeah. Uh, because what was horrific about Titus Andronicus, what always is horrific about Titus Andronicus, because there was a famous production at the Globe where people were carrying out, being carried out yeah, because yeah, they'd fainted. Yeah. It's not the sight of blood or the horrific things. It's the it's the sort of thought behind the horrific thing. It, it's yeah. what it's actually showing about human cruelty and human malice, essentially. Yes, yes. And with very little in the way of redemption at all. You know, there's not, you always say about drama, there's kind of redemption arc of yeah. kind of moving from violence to some kind of resolution. But that play, not. yeah. It's interesting that I think that's in, that's very true, isn't it? Because it was another. It was it Nina Gower did a production of Titus where she spat out red ribbons when Lavinia has it wasn't Lavinia. Who yeah, has it is her Lavinia. Tongue cut out. Yeah. Is it Lavinia? So when her Pretty tongue sure is cut out, Lavinia. she spat out these red ribbons. Where I've seen other productions of it where people are literally swimming in in blood, and it's extraordinary, you know, as a sort of uh, thought. Is it? As an audience, do you want that catharsis? Do you want to see all the blood? Or is it the thought of it? Is it, is it that you see characters playing out the most extraordinary things as a sort of socialised, civilised society would never allow ourselves to behave in that way? Yeah. Is, there something, is there something fantastical about that? Because it's very, very different to, say, watching the news when you look at horrific things that happen in war zones or whatever. I mean, it isn't, it isn't the same part of the brain. It yeah. doesn't feel like the same part of the brain because it's, it's like you lock into this other groove where it's stories and it's about kings and land and 
you know, dynasties and what you're fighting for and you know, you're protecting family names or whatever, but then you see it on the news and you see horrific things happening and it's it's not that there's no joy in that it's just horrendous so people can't bear to watch it and i i do think that's interesting about the way that violence in the context of a, of a story is different we were able to handle it differently yeah and and that there's this sort of weird almost laughable joy when you see at the end of a jacobean tragedy five bodies yes, covered yeah. in in fake blood yeah. and people going oh and you go yeah. and it's sort of mad yeah. but there's something great yeah you know that you you can you it is a catharsis isn't it, it? Yeah. yeah so I, so is it's a catharsis so let me talk about a little life it's been adapted from a cult novel so it has already, it's already a phenomenon. Whatever I think of it, whatever any member of the audience thinks of it, it already has so many people who think it is wonderful. And it's a cult novel by Hanya Nagahara, who wrote this novel that got long listed for the Booker Prize and has been a sensation. And it's right. about a group of friends in New York and you, I guess you start, yeah, you start off in the novel because I've dipped in and out of it. I haven't read it. 720 pages. Why is it called A Little Life? Is, it, is that relevant or not really? Well, I think it's because its central character is James, who has had his life shrunk by horrific abuse that happens to him in his childhood. So he is horribly, horribly abused. And it gives nothing away to say that he's he's orphaned as a child. He's abused by the monks who take him in. He's then consistently abused, betrayed, beaten by a succession of different men. Blimey. And he is so destroyed by shame and guilt about what has happened to him by his sense that he can only live a little life yeah I think that's what it is that he cannot he's got this lovely group of loving friends and he cannot live with them right and cannot really fulfill his his kind of um, dreams of life because he can't tell them anything about what has happened to him oh wow and the play is a very faithful adaptation of it by Eva van Hover. It was originally done in Dutch. It ran a four hours. It's now running at three hours, 40 minutes. Wow. And it, is, and it stars James Norton, which is yeah. another, you know, of Happy Valley fame, a, an actor people adore, which is another reason that it's kind of critic proof. Yeah. Um, and basically it, whereas in the novel, as far as I can see, the, 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 the abuse is very slowly realized right in the in the stage version his past life and his present life are brought together so Norton's performance which is very impressive moves constantly between what happened to him as a child and what happened to him as um and how he's trying to live as an adult yeah and he's also a self-harmer so there is an immense amount of blood on the stage yeah yeah. all the time yeah he cuts himself a lot and I found it really interesting because I would never, I don't think, it's so successful that people have bought tickets instantly, sold out instantly, and it's transferring instantly. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's so successful. But I don't think I'd have ever bought a ticket because yeah. it feels so horrific to me, even though I admire it as a piece of theatre. Yeah. 
I'm not absolutely sure, you know, in terms of what you're saying, it very much is that kind of blood fest. I'm not absolutely sure what I learned at the end of it or why I'd watched it. Right. I Well, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think it is to do with this catharsis and it is to do with an extremity that you're... Like any, like any story that has an extremity that as a, as a, uh, as an individual, you wouldn't ever allow yourself to go to. So there's a fascination and, and an escapism that comes with witnessing that. Like in any detective story, I mean, detective novels, detective dramas, detective movies, you know, any story like that is always in the sort of top 10 most watched, you know, read of any uh, any time, I mean, you know, all the detective shows on telly are the most popular because yeah. it's it's there's an escapism, there's a thrill, there's a conundrum, there's there's a place that you go to in your head whilst you watch it that isn't part of your normal everyday life. So you think life. it's helping make sense of what you what's around you essentially. I think it's an ex, it has an extremity to the escapism. So right. all theatre, all stories have an escapist value. And I think that that extremity, that place you go to, similarly with uh, sort of technicolor musical culture, you know, you go to this place yeah. that isn't part of your life and maybe it's just the other end of the, the, the spectrum, that, that that sort of violent point of sort of animal, I run around in fur with an axe, the, you know, the other end of that is the sort of tits and teeth you know, let's let's sing about it. That sounds like a cue for a song. Well, certainly it's true that the success of A Little Life runs counter to what everybody's thinking at the moment, that, that you know, for, for shows to work, they have to be kind of uplifting. Yeah. There is an uplifting element to it. I mean, uh, the performances are uplifting, but also the friendship. Uh, Luke Thompson of uh, Bridget and Rame is in it, and he's, he's one of a group of friends who surrounds this character who are supportive and loving. And my friend who I went with felt that actually it did have a a kind of cathartic quality because she felt that until the very end where it's really like putting a hat on a hat in terms of what happens, but until that point that she had spent three hours or three plus hours in the company of people who had made her understand the underlying effects of trauma and of abuse and how hard it is for people to overcome them yeah, yeah. And, and and I think there's a truth in that and because you're seeing it enacted in front of you there is a reality and a kind of human frailty in it that perhaps you wouldn't get on a film or on telly you know there's a sense in which you are witnessing yeah. the effects of this abuse and it's it's kind of it's very sensitively directed I mean for all that it is you know a yeah, sort of war yeah, fest yeah. And, and a drama fest it's very sensitively dark I think as well maybe the one element that, that is is really important I mean I don't know the story and I haven't seen the show but you said about the self-harming nature and about you know and it's interesting that there is there's a massive growth in that as a as a problem particularly with a younger generation and maybe it's an important story to put out there about controlling pain and controlling anxiety and maybe that's why I mean also James Norton and also an incredible story uh you know that has already had success as a book and also an incredible director all of those things are sort of tick 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 you know but actually at the center of it maybe there's a there's you know 
there's something about seeing somebody in pain and how they deal with that. And maybe that's an important story and it has a it has a relevance beyond simply, I, I mean, I'm just try, yeah, trying to well, understand no, the violence, that... you know, beyond just simply violence on stage. Actually seeing a young man who hasn't been able to express the trauma that he experienced and how that plays out, even surrounded by love and friendship, maybe that's something that we, that, that's a story we need to be watching at the moment. And yeah. that's, you know, the number of kids who are self-harming and that is continues to rise as a problem because there are so many levels of different anxieties that have, you know, come out over the last few years and, you know, languages that are being developed. We still don't really understand what that is. And so maybe there's a there's a relevance to it as well on some other level. I think that's true. I do think that's true. So having having started off saying I wasn't sure why I was there, I think it's partly because I'm squeamish. I mean, I... I am somebody who, who finds, you know, when they put Leah's eyes out, oh, uh, Gloucester's yeah. eyes out oh, in Leah, yeah. I mean, I am usually under my seat. The vile jelly. Vile jelly. Goes and sometimes it's so awful, I can't watch it. It all. is really, yeah. So I'm not very good with any kind of violence, stage or otherwise. But um, I do think, having said I've, I didn't know why I was watching it, I do think the thing I came out feeling was that the strongest insight is into that into yeah. the idea which is unpopular and isn't necessarily um very consoling but the idea yeah. that some trauma is so hard to climb over i think it does explain self-harm better than yeah. almost anything i've seen and that in that sense it made me think about the plays of sarah kane who always again comes up in violence on, yeah you know when people are talking about violence on stage and I feel looking at her work now that it was really insightful into yeah. the kind of bleakness and darkness of depression yes. and also depression sort of triggered by the horror yeah. of the world around us, which, you know, had nowhere. Yeah. She could, had nowhere to be expressed, really. Yeah. Well, I think there is a, there is a, there's definitely an isolation, isn't there, that comes with those kind of sort of mental health issues and that you can very quickly feel that you're not invited into the inner circle of functioning society and that and so that actually the forum of theatre or telly you know or film you know offers a space to play out that story in a way that can heal mm. you know in a way that you know the the normal office everyday underground using Sainsbury's going environment doesn't give you a space because you're supposed to look like a functioning human being. Yeah. But actually theatre's like, this is where I can tell you where I go. This is my vortex. This is this is what my vortex looks like. This is what the edge of my cliff looks like. Does anybody else feel like this? Can anybody tell me that this is normal? And 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 actually so it's important as well as being cathartic as well as being a form of escapism as well as a, a, a way to explore how you tell those stories artistically it's it's a rare safe space yes you yes know? and I felt that very strongly when I saw um I mean cleansed which is I think it's her third play which was yeah um done at the National Theatre in 2016 and I hadn't seen it before and and it's kind of got this terrible sort of concentration camp of suffering yeah yeah uh, but it speaks incredibly strongly 
of suffering in life and our capacity to deal with it and yeah. our capacity to endure or not to endure and sort of broken love and broken dreams. And it's an incredibly sort of powerful metaphor yeah, yeah. for suffering. And and theatre is really good at that. I think that it, it, it does create a safe space to... Yeah, to, to show something that isn't bearable at yeah. some levels. Because you know, I mean, you know, even in terrible things, you know, people's feet being chopped off or whatever. Yeah. You know that it's an effect. Yeah. And you know it's an effect in a different way. You know it's an effect on film as well. Yes, yes. But because sort of it's possible at some levels to make it more realistic. It's really you, you've got that safety valve of being able to say, I'm dealing with something really horrific here. Yes. But I am dealing with it because I'm in a safe space dealing with it. Yeah. No, it's interesting as well talking talking about it in theatrical terms because actually when you employ violence on stage and you have to have um fight directors who come in and you know design all of that and help you and make sure that you can do it safely eight times a week and um, and it's the equivalent to an intimacy coach in a way, particularly in this day and age when, you know, you have these brilliant people and there are increasing numbers of women fight directors, which is so awesome. Right. And they're brilliant. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and actually what that what it forces you to do is design with the story in mind. So actually it when the words stop and the fight takes over, you have to be very, very clear about what what it is that that part of the story is telling so are you going hell for leather because actually you just want to decapitate and run for the hills right or are you actually is it very very specific are you trying to hurt a particular part of that body because that you know because it was uh, you're you're punishing an adulterer or you are you taking off their hands because you're jealous of the fact that they can write better than you or you know i don't know i'm just plucking whatever but but the point is is that what I think is really, really interesting about having a fight director, you know, when you have violence on stage, is you have to really think about yeah. why that violence is in that play and what it achieves. How does it move the story forward? What is left at the end? What's the carnage? Yes. You know, and I think that's brilliant because yeah. actually fight, fighting and violence, you know, is part of life just like sex is part of life. And so having intimacy directors to come in and design sex on stage as opposed to just two people going at it like rabbits, you just know what is it? How are they making love? How are they kissing? What are they doing? When was the last time they had sex? Ask those questions of the story. Make the story work for you. And then that violence is just as fascinating and just as deep as anything else. No, that's true. So it's so in a way when when you start to think about how violence works on stage as opposed to in other ways, is it in other mediums. If you think about Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, of course, you know, I spent most of the time under a blanket because I just couldn't, you know, bear to watch it. But most of the time it was almost like um sort of uh not exactly joke violence, but but kind of violence that was just there as an embellishment so of a plot and a creation of a world. Yes. Whereas it's true that on stage, violence and agony and bloodshed are yes. usually there with a purpose. And certainly that's true in A Little Life. There, is, there isn't a sense in which it's gratuitous. I don't think there's, anyone could argue that. You may feel that you didn't want to experience it, but it, the seriousness of its purpose is yes. clear. And the extremity, presumably, of it matches yes. the extremity of the darkness of his 
mind, his mind. Yeah. and his sadness yeah. and trauma. Yeah. You know, I think if he, if it's in those terms, I mean, there is always a point where, he, because of the the context of it being on stage, it's, I always keep thinking of um, the thing in Monty Python. Joel sings the song of "Brave, brave, brave, brave Sir Robin," <laughs> and he does, and his penis chopped and his armpits slashed, and, <laughs> yeah, and it is a little like, bit like that. But you yeah. know, you just think, "Oh my God, this is ridiculous!" But actually. It's just if you're in it, if this, if if it's done its job, which is it's taken you into his head, yeah, then the violence should fit that. That yes, and I then it isn't true. extreme. What's the most violent thing you've ever been in on stage? Do you think? Um, hmm. I've done fairly violent farces. <laughs> in fact, lovely, it's Combat Kate. Who, Kate Waters is a brilliant uh, female fight director who I've worked with many, many times, and she's always just awesome. Um, she, The first time we ever met her, we were doing The Duck House, and I was hitting myself over the head with a metal tray, and but I was giving myself a headache because I thought, no, 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 it's fine. I can do this eight shows a week, and so I had to... But she had to teach me how to do it so I could make the noise and not, and not <laughs> give not myself... Not but no, uh, I suppose uh, Wojciech, which is incredibly dark. And actually right. there's a, there was a scene where... Um, oh, was it the old Vic? Wasn't was it, it the old John Vic? Boyega. And Sarah Green was playing the uh, girlfriend of John Boyega's character. Um, and he strangled her to death. Right. And that was extraordinary. And there were fights in that. There was just, it was just really, really Who dark. Who directed it? I don't uh, Joe Murphy. Right. And uh, it was a really interesting show, but it was quite dark and I think you have to take care of each other as a company when you're sort of treating each other not very well on stage and in fact the worst thing for me was these little boys who were playing the younger uh, John Boyega and I had to say horrible things to them and that was just horrible because you were his mother yeah and yeah. yeah that wasn't very nice at all and they were great I mean they were brilliant but it was just it's not nice it's interesting with a little life. They have got, you know, they have got enormous amount of therapeutic support on hand for the cast. I mean, there is, oh, you know, really? the, yeah. there's, um, there's kind of someone to look after them and to look to 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 help them separate themselves from the characters and to be safe while they're making. Yes, it. yes. But also, actually, they put in place people if the audience are particularly um, shocked by it to help with trauma and oh, really? and so Gosh. on for them as well. So. It has been set up, you know, people joke about trigger warnings, but it has actually been set up so that if it does, um, if it does upset anybody, there yeah. is there is help at hand and yeah. somebody to talk to and, um, you know, psychological support. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting that because the Wojciech is interesting because... Of course, it's a 19th century play. Yeah. It's always been like the bleakest of plays. Yes, I mean, yes. I, And actually very similar to A Little Life, that, that huge numbers of figures in authority, you know, sold, uh, um, in the army, in the medicine, in the university, in the world, yeah. treat Wojciech yeah. as someone to be experimented on, someone beyond care somehow, that they yes. treat him as nothing, don't they? Yes, yes. It is the most remarkably disturbing play. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a sort of extraordinary um, tale of self-loathing, really, because you're, not, you're never sure whether he's been given the placebo drug or the actual drug. When the doctor's making experiments. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, you know, whether or not... 
you know, but actually the way that Jack Thorne adapted it was that he had already suffered trauma being on the front line. Yeah. And that, you know, that he'd gone AWOL and that he'd been sent to uh, Ireland and then to Berlin, you know, but he was sort of being chucked left, right and centre because the army couldn't deal with the fact that there was somebody spinning out yeah. because of the experiences they'd had. And, you know, that's a whole other thing, you know, mental health in the military and and that um, the number of people who have unchecked post-traumatic stress disorder having witnessed all sorts of dreadful things in war zones. And and so it was as much for for Jack Thorne adapting, it was as much a play about Northern Ireland and Berlin and the army as it was about that original play that he was basing it on. Yeah, because he's, yeah, so he's basically uh, Joel Buckner is basically, yeah, he's looking at a person being treated as a figure for experiment, yeah, isn't yeah. he? And he, and also the other, well, the interesting thing is how far we've come and how much we've changed as well, because that is very similar to A Little Life, because A Little Life essentially is study of understanding self-loathing and yeah. of how you cannot and how society doesn't deal with that. So yes. it is very basic level, I think, it, that's got a really close analysis with Wojciech but if you think about the history of all these plays and and so on the fact that they were just staged as in a way the outlet for thinking about these things yeah without any backup support at all whereas now theatre is so um careful with its audiences yeah. and says you know we we are raising these really difficult things but we will be here for you if they upset you yeah I tend to think that's quite a good yeah um Development, though I think I've told the story before that I went to see a, a piece I really love by a guy called Dan Dor, who's a he's a, a dancer and theatre maker. Yeah, and um, he describes himself as a crip, so I will describe him as that. And it was about um, sadomasochistic sex. I had so many trigger warnings on it oh, really? that I was when I sat down, I was absolutely utterly terrified. I thought I'm never ever ever going to get through this show. I'm going to have to go off into the quiet room and to talk to a therapist. It's all good. Rock gently. And then, and then it, it was it was the warmest, most kind of. Um, I thought it was the most kind of insightful show about love that I'd, yeah. I'd seen for a really long time, and I I did actually sort of sent him a tweet at the end and said you know honestly I was nearly put off I was oh, really? I was you know because it's such a great show so it should have all the warnings and I should say but basically it's a show about love but it is it's about extreme human experience isn't it and I think that, that as you know in terms of people who are interested in writing stories and listening to stories and watching stories it's about exploring where those extremities are and where we go with them and what they look like generation to generation I remember the line in Closer Patrick Marber's Closer where uh, he says you know have you ever seen the human heart it's like a fist covered in blood and it is that thing of you know I think it's important to remind ourselves you know that these are all very human experiences and to forgive ourselves immediately you know partly for wanting to tell them, partly for, you know, experiencing and, and them, and then also for wanting the catharsis of witnessing somebody else going through stuff. You know, yeah. that's, it has existed forever. Forever. You know, and... Well, and, Greek tragedy, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly that. Thing. And it, and so it's how you express them artistically, I think, is fascinating and how we move from, you know, from generation to generation in terms of how we do that do we smother ourselves in blood and run around screaming at the top of our voices or do we spit out red ribbon you know or do we tell it truthfully and fully but then put 
uh, you know, a link to somebody who can help if this yeah. has been rather triggering. And it is interesting how it's changing. So in twenty, here we are in 2023 with, you know, a little life, you know, full of trigger warnings, but basically three hours, 40 minutes of unrelenting examination of the cruelty of man to man. In 1965, Edward Bond put on Saved, and yeah. uh, well, wrote Saved, and the Royal Court could only put it on as a private show. Yeah. They had to turn themselves into a private theatre club oh, because wow. the Censorship Act was still in force and the cuts that the censor demanded that were made would have made nonsense the play. So what Bond wanted to examine enslaved was again a cruel society and the sense particularly then that people uh people were being cut adrift from life almost that they they their their lives were being rendered meaningless right. by the unkindness of society towards them so he's the most famous scene in saved is of course the scene where three disaffected youths the youths of today are toying with a baby and they start off teasing it and sort of treating it unkindly wow. and they end up stoning it to death and so I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> well, I yeah, mean, yeah. and it is, and it is still, you know, all these years later, it's not performed much saved. No, no. I, I mean, Edward Bond spent a long time not wanting people to put it on. He was happy that people studied it, but he felt that directors hadn't understood it and that it was becoming uh, too much sort of about the violence and not enough about the causes of the violence yes, yes. and the sense of abandonment yeah. and so on. I think that's a fair summary of his view. When it is put on, yeah. it's still the most shocking of yes, things. Yes. And, you know, uh, yeah, there's, I've seen it once yeah. and there's nothing more upsetting, but it is essentially an examination of cruelty and why cruelty arises. Yeah. And how we can go on and on allowing the perpetuation of cruelty. Well, it's interesting as well for a younger generation as well who have grown up playing violent computer games for yeah. whom there is a sort of benign quality to the way they witness stuff on their, you know, Game Boys or the yeah. Nintendos or however they play. You know, the fact that, you know, there have been stories told about the fact that there is a generation of, of gamers for whom violence is, is nothing but fun, yeah. you know, and what that does to you psychologically. So maybe it's actually really important that we keep telling these stories because, you know, for the generation coming up for whom that has become quite benign and they're sort of numb to it, that actually to see it in front of you, particularly live, yeah. is the only way that they'll you can reignite the sense of consequence and, and trauma and pain that something that looks like a game is actually real life. And, yeah. and actually this is this is something that needs to be they need to be re educated about in order to counterbalance yeah. that. Yeah, well, I certainly, I certainly would buy that, and I think Saved is interesting, as indeed is uh, is cleansed and blasted. You know, the Sarah Kane plays. Yeah. That when people see them, because they are serious, serious examinations. Yeah. Of cruelty and human evil, and the sense, as you say, of sort of desolation that that kind of can cause. People, young people, I have seen them with, 
have been or talked to them about or read them with yeah have been truly shocked and it does take you into a different place yes. really than a computer game or a movie where you just accept the level of violence as being something that's almost um well perhaps like the jacobian dramas yes. you know that's just like a trope and it's it's just there as something that you're yeah. you're witnessing yeah so. yeah but maybe so, maybe sorry i was just going to say that maybe it's to do with the characters maybe if the character is somebody that you relate to you know is a relatable young person and it's not a jacobean king yeah. then it's more traumatic because yeah. you think oh my gosh this person who seems to me to be normal and reminds me of myself is then capable of something quite dark and extreme if it's a king defending his land we sort of go oh it's a king defending yeah, his yeah. land if it's some you know if it's mr blogs from down the road is just slightly been isolated for too long and and has lost his sense of reality well then that's more traumatic and that brings us to the end of this uh non-violent uh episode <laughs> about violence uh, and it's goodbye from me nancy carroll the actress and goodbye from me sarah crompton the critic <laughs>